This is a Geek Bro Podcast. What is up, besties? This is episode 67 of Childlike at Best with Mike Valdez. Did I say last week was episode 68? Yes. And did I say last week that it was episode 68, but actually it's episode 67, which would make it that I actually had to go back in time to make this episode 67, so technically this is just a plot to Back to the Future 2? Yes! of Child Like It Best with Mike Valdez, and I am still the second part of that title. Let's just get right to it, besties. This is such a great episode. Today's episode is my buddy Josh Sneed. Josh is a very funny stand-up comedian who has been on Comedy Central Presents. He's been on Drive Our Comedy. And even though he's a headlining comedian now, he has toured with so many great comedians like the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, Patrice O'Neill, Mitch Hepberg, and so many more. This is such a great episode. Josh and I are kind of cut from the same ilk. We are very big serial fans, so we talk a lot about novelty serials in this episode. And he has a really amazing story because growing up in Cincinnati, his dad worked for a really amazing toy company, which we'll get into in this episode. And there's so many great tidbits that he has from his childhood and also from his comedy journey. I really think that you guys are going to love this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Josh. Josh Sneed. I'm so excited to have you, man. I want to start from the very beginning. I've told you this many, many times, and I know you're probably going to hate me because I'm complimenting you, but (laughs) your bits absolutely kill me. I remember watching your Comedy Central Presents when I was in high school. And I know you're going to hate me for saying that, too. But (laughs) but I remember watching that when I was in high school and just thinking that you were the funniest dude. Your season of Comedy Central Presents was pretty great. Like it was amazing. Was on there. Mark Marin, Maria Bamford, Paul F. Tompkins. Great people. John Heffron, Finesse. My buddy Finesse was on there. Um, Chelsea Handler. What's fun was like. I'm such a fan of comedy that that week Mm -hmm. I decided like, I'm going to stick around and watch everybody. Like I wanted to see everybody as much as I was excited to actually do mine. And um, they did four a night for like five nights, Sunday through Thursday. And then on Friday they did the amazing Jonathan did an hour special. And I was like a huge, amazing Jonathan fan. And I had never yeah. seen him live before. So I was determined to stick around the whole week and watch everybody and and lead up to seeing Amazing Jonathan. And so it was it was really fun for me to to watch all those comics do those specials, especially now looking back, like several of them are icons. So I kind of want to start from the beginning for you. Where did you grow up? I grew up here in Cincinnati. Nice. Yeah. Can you describe the city life of Cincinnati? What is it even like in Cincinnati, Ohio? <laughs> it, um, <laughs> I mean, I love it. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm from here, but it's a great place to grow up because the size of the city lends itself to providing experiences that a lot of bigger cities have, whether that's like art or music or sports. You know, we have all those things here, yeah. but it's not so big that you deal with like high crime or a lot of traffic. You know what I mean? So to me, it just, it's such the right size city, especially now like that I'm raising a family that it's just a perfect size for opportunity, but not too big that you feel like you can't 
get around or if you're trying to interject yourself into the local scene, it's not too big of an impact, like a place to make an impact as one person. Right. That's amazing. And what kind of kid would you say that you were growing up? Like, who did you sit with at the lunch table? (laughs) I had a good mix of friends. I sat with the cool kids, but I think I sat with the cool kids because I was funny. When you're a kid, the cool kids are the ones that are good at sports, right? Like, sure, yeah. Uh, like, I like Star Wars when it was nerdy to like Star Wars. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I know we'll get into that. That's based off of of uh, what my dad did. But yeah, you know, like I grew up in a really small part of Cincinnati. My graduating class in high school was uh, 73 people. So, like, I knew a lot of them since kindergarten you know? So it wasn't like there was a ton of tables to pick from anyway. (laughs) Like, you know, like, like you could almost be at the cool kids table by default because there weren't that many tables. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You either sit at the cool kids table or with the kid that eats pudding weird. That's right. That's right. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you know, I mean, I played sports growing up, so I was friends with all those guys. and, And we, like I said, we played sports all through childhood together and uh and i'm still friends with a lot of them today but i was never like the best athlete you know i was on all the teams but i was never the best so i think that's kind of why i naturally gravitated toward comedy because it was like what i kind of brought to the table of the cool kids table i guess yeah it's funny because like i played sports just because i kind of wanted to like i wanted to say that i tried and things like that and The thing about me with sports is that 95% of the time I was terrible, but there was that 5% (laughs) where I was so good. (laughs) Like that last three that we needed in basketball, Yeah, you know, like it was me from half court and they're like, really? Mike Valdez? (laughs) Like, (laughs) like (laughs) I I would do like the impossible stuff all the time. (laughs) That's like the only thing I was good for. I, I want to ask you, like, what kind of fandoms were you into as a kid? And I know that this is going to be a big question because, like, your dad had an amazing job, especially considering the audience for this podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll let you tell the audience what your dad did. Thing. Sure. Just- my So my dad was uh, he was a model maker for Kenner Toys here in Cincinnati. So, I mean, as a kid. I mean, there's nothing cooler than your dad working at a toy company. The only drawback of that was that a lot of the popular toys that weren't made by Kenner, like I never had because I only had Kenner stuff, you know? So like my friends that had GI Joes and Transformers and He-Man, like I very rarely, if ever got those toys because they weren't Kenner toys, you know, but I had <laughs> Star Wars and Mask, the the TV show Mask came up <laughs> yeah. and it was like Kenner's answer to trans. It was like a GI Joe Transformers hybrid show where the vehicles turned into other things, but they weren't robots. They just turned into like, you know, like a Jeep turned into like a Jeep that had guns that came out of the front bumper, you know? <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. You should look it up. They're actually, there's actually talk like a year ago that they're going to do a mask movie it was such a cool show and a really cool yeah. toy as a kid to have yeah man with. i mean one thing i was just in a you were probably there i was just in a clubhouse room this morning and i was talking about 90s cartoons and somebody said this so perfectly where it's like the 80s and the 90s had such original ideas because 
when you describe a synopsis to like any 90s or 80s cartoon, it sounds like you're describing a dream. <laughs> and then most people are like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like a car that would turn into a person and then he, you know, was a ninja. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And that's like the only time where everything was original. Now it's just like, oh, well, it's because it's a popular book series or it was popular 30 years ago or whatever the case. Now there's barely any original ideas. Yeah, you're right about that, though. Like, I think back to my fondest shows that I watched and they were all based off of like fantasy. You know, no, there was nothing. Uh, it seems like a lot of the cartoons now, you know, I have I get a little bit of it because I watch it with my kids. But what they're into, it's very simplistic. You know, it's all like really nice spirited you know and that's that's good that's what you want like i don't think we realized when we were kids that maybe subconsciously we were we were learning about you know violence and and the struggles of good versus evil you know like my daughter watches a show that's like a rainbow tree that sings songs like there's no you know what i mean like it's pure (laughs) visual and audio enjoyment for her there's no lessons being learned or anything like that but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Like Voltron and Thundercats and shows like that. Somebody either had to be dreaming or on some really hard drugs to even come up with a yeah, concept man. of those. Yeah. And not only that, another thing looking back at it as an adult is that the marketing for boy cartoons, it was like, you better watch this or you're not a man. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you better join the army. Like, <laughs> that's hilarious. I never um, thought of it I, like that. There was, oh my gosh, there was a comedian that said this joke so good. It was this joke where the only reason why I ever joined the army was just because they called. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It was so funny because it's like, that's what it was like back then, dude. It was like, if they, they just called you. Oh, it was Nate Bergetzi. That's who it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was like, they just called and I was like, oh, they chose me. Cool. And it's like, he didn't know that it was like, it's not like how it used to be. Right. Like they're just calling you because they need people as opposed to like, you're chosen. That's hilarious. (laughs) He's so Um, good. He's too good, man. That guy is unreal. So dad works at Kenner. You have. I would assume you must have felt like a celebrity at some sorts because (laughs) you kind of had to feel like you're getting invited to parties. But you're like, is that is he really my friend, though? (laughs) Or like, does he just want the indoor playset? You know? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I did get invited to all the birthday parties. But again, going back to what I said about how small the town was, like, it's hard to not get invited to everybody's birthday party. You know what I mean? Because like we just had such a small group of, of neighborhood kids. And it was a, you know, it's a classic neighborhood that I'm sure a lot of people like I can't even imagine my kids living in that kind of neighborhood where it's like you go out and play. You come back when the, the street lights come on, you know. It was just a different time back then, but you're a hundred percent right. I, I for sure was invited because they knew that I would be bringing a toy to the party. Yeah. I mean, I would assume that you've had to have felt like a celebrity of sorts. It was fun. There was like, and and I remember times where they would come and do like studies at my school where they would, you know, toy companies would bring in toys and like let the kids take a look at a video or take a look at a toy and then give feedback on it. And I was never allowed to do that because my dad worked at Kenner. And then, you know, there was other times where 
like looking back, you know, it's like one of those things where if you wish you could go back in time on a selfish level, a lot of the stuff that my dad brought home was prototypes because, you know, they would give him a blueprint. He would build a working model of the toy. Then they would make a bunch of marks on it saying like, we need to adjust this and this and this. And then that became garbage because they would have to make a new model with those adjustments. And so that was what my dad would bring home for me to play with a lot of the times. And like that stuff is worth, prototypes are worth an absolute fortune. But that was the stuff that I was like throwing off of our porch into the yard, crashing into, you know what I mean? Like burying figures in the ground and stuff. The classic one is that um, when uh, Return of the Jedi came out, initially it was supposed to be called Revenge of the Jedi. But George Lucas changed the name of the movie at the last minute and Kenner had already printed up Uh, You know, when you buy an action figure, there's like a cardboard backing with like the little bubble that has the figure in it. Well, those cardboard backs come in big uncut sheets and they had a bunch of sheets that had already been printed for samples for Revenge of the Jedi. And so when they changed the name, those sheets became garbage and they got thrown in the dumpster and my dad brought them home because he was like a car guy. Like his big thing was uh, working on cars and that meant he changed our oil when our cars needed their oil change. So he would put these cardboard sheets down in the garage to make sure that oil didn't get on the garage floor. (laughs) Those uncut sheets that said Revenge of the Jedi are worth (laughs) about $12,000 a piece. And I want to say we had like eight or nine of them. I just imagine your dad (laughs) putting oil in his car and there's just stacks of money underneath your car. Yeah. Yeah. It's like technically that's what it was. It was just stacks of money, you know? Yeah, but again, but if you knew that, then you then everybody would have kept that stuff. You know what I mean? Of like course, that's why yeah. it's worth so much. I mean, to be fair, like my time when I was a kid, it was a huge deal when episode one came out or like at least before it came out. Yeah. It was a really big deal. And because of that, everybody was trying to collect all the toys. Yeah. And now they're like, the least valuable thing on the face of the planet. Yeah, there like, was you're better off. No one wants a Jar Jar Binks <laughs> toy or like a Anakin Skywalker Pepsi can. Like nobody wants that. You're right. <laughs> like I'll never forget when I was in third grade, they re-released them. Yeah. I guess to kind of hype people up. Special edition. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was the first time I ever saw them. My dad took me to see them and man, that was a great experience. And that was also like, to be fair, I was lucky because when I was growing up, it was cool to like Star Wars. Yeah. And like talking to people from your generation that are like, it was not cool to like Star Wars. Like, dude, it's a religion now. I know. Like, it's almost like, like the, it's and, and like the hardcore people. Now it's almost like it's it's nerdy to like Star Wars, like because yeah. it's, you know, it's ironically nerdy right. to like Star Wars now. But you know, there's just been so many things, especially in the last couple of years, like Kenner, Kenner stuff, like stuff with the word Kenner on it from the company has just skyrocketed in value. It's become collectibles. And um, I was on some Facebook, or I got tagged in this post on Facebook, like a collector's group that, you know, was like a buy, sell, trade kind of thing. And someone had posted my dad's business card and was selling it for like $250, like my dad's business card. And I didn't know this person. They had collected it and they were just like, 
Here's one that I just came across, you know, anybody wants it. And there was like a lot of people that were claiming in the comments, you know, like, I'll take it if he doesn't take it. And like, I could not wrap my head around, you know, that my dad's business card that I probably threw away (laughs) 500 of them when he passed away, you know, out of a box that we were going through that they would be, that that would be worth money. But, you know, like gifts that they gave to employees, they'd used to, my dad used to get every year he would go to New York for the toy fair when he would help set up the Kenner display at the New York toy fair of all the stuff that was coming out. And whenever he would come home, he would bring me their catalog, this toy catalog. And it showed every toy that Kenner was releasing in the next year. And they were just like the coolest books to look through. Cause I got to see all the toys before anybody else did. And um, those books sell for crazy amounts of money now. And it's just, it's just wild to look back and think about all the stuff I had and just threw away because it was just, we had so much of it. Crazy to think about that, man. It, it makes me kind of validate why my mom saves so much of my stuff. Yeah. You know, because like my mom still has my teeth. Like she's going to make some <laughs> weird necklace out of it or something. Who knows, man? One day my teeth might be worse. 100%. <laughs> if you blow up, you become a, a global sensation. Somebody figures yeah. out how to clone you based off of DNA from your baby teeth. I mean, like, who knows, dude? <laughs> yeah, man. Like, and then my molars are worth two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. Um, the fact that my molars would be worth anything at all is hilarious. <laughs> but uh, so, what other movies were you into? I mean, what movies were kind of inspiring you to be a comedian? It basically, made you fall in love with comedy. Yeah. So my my parents were very religious. They were very active Southern Baptists. So. You're in good company. So are mine. Yeah. So, and they're Cuban. So it's worse. Oh, yeah. I bet. <laughs> so we were at church twice on Sunday, every Wednesday. Oh, you know, yeah, so that dude. it was a full day event. Yeah. <laughs> that limited a lot of what I was allowed to watch. You know, yeah. um, I hear a lot of, of other comedians talk about, you know, growing up in a house where they had Lenny Bruce or George Carlin albums playing in the background. And, you know, that's kind of how they got into it. Like, that was not the case in my house. We watched Bill Cosby himself, which looking back may have been worse than listening to Carla <laughs> or, or Lenny Bruce. But um, but I wasn't exposed to a lot of stand up. And, you know, as a kid, I, I liked all the kid, mo- the kid 80s movies, you know, Goonies and uh, E.T. And I would get to see movies whenever my dad did toys for something. So I got to see like Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice. And um, that's really cool. I'm sure there were some other ones, but Indiana Jones was big. You got to see them before your friends and stuff because he worked at Kenner? Uh, the later ones where I was old enough to go to the movie theater. So like Return of the Jedi, I got to see that before any of my friends. Oh. Indiana Jones. Yeah, there were a couple that that my dad would get, like him and all his coworkers would get tickets to. And what was really fun about that was I was in college when episode one came out and I was a movie critic for the university's newspaper So I got to see movies before anybody else as a critic. So I got to take my dad to see episode one before anybody else got to see it, which was really cool because when I was a kid, he took me to see Return of the Jedi before anybody else was able to see it. So that was a really cool moment for us. But my sense of humor 
for sure was mostly influenced by, well, my dad. My dad was a very funny guy. He was the comedian of all his buddies. And he worked with a lot of characters, especially at the toy company. Him always being like holding court and being the funny guy at at large events, whether it was a church event or with amongst their friends, I picked up on that at a very early age that people loved how funny he was. So he was a big influence, but then also Saturday Night Live, which I mean, to me, is it's still the glory days. I'm not one of those like, you kids, your SNL is not my SNL. You know, it's not like right. that, but I still, that cast was, was um, you know, my favorites of like Mike Myers and Dana Carvey and Phil Hartman. And then the early years of like Chris Farley and David Spade and those guys coming in. Like, that's what I grew up with. Like, they were prominent right when my sense of humor was really starting to get defined. And so that was why I started doing stand-up is because I wanted to be on SNL. And then movie-wise, I loved Slapstick, like Airplane and, and Naked Gun, yeah. movies like that where, like, they all, I love wordplay and puns. So... Those movies were always really funny to me. Caddyshack, Fletch, those movies really shaped my early sense of humor. And then when I was in college, you know, it was a lot of like the Adam Sandler, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, Tommy Boy, movies like that that came out that started veering me down that road even further towards SNL and wanting to do stand up as like a springboard to hopefully get to SNL. And then I just fell in love with stand up, and that's what I've done ever since. Oh, I'm I'm going to get you, sucker. That was another one. That came up in a room we were in recently. It's a movie (laughs) that I don't think enough people have seen, but it was kind of like the black version of Airplane or Naked Gun. And it was Keenan Irie Wayans and a a great cast, or like a super young Chris Rock. And there's so many jokes in that movie that it it still holds up today. It's still one of my favorites. But that was another one that I really liked as a kid. Like I would just watch it any chance I got. Because you grew up in like a conservative Christian home, I want to ask you, what did you have to sneak behind your parents? Like what <laughs> what did what were you not allowed to watch, but you like watched it at your friend's house or found a way, you know, um, MTV, like really anything on MTV, you know, it was all yeah. like it was MTV's the devil. You know, like, right, uh, of course. like obviously over exaggerating that to an extent, but very rarely yeah. was I allowed to have MTV on, which meant like Beavis and Butthead or, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot of like cable was a thing, but it wasn't a thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like if you wanted stuff that I really wasn't able to watch, it would have had to have been on like HBO or Showtime. And I only had a handful of friends that even had those, you know, it was just, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny because you think like things were ultra conservative back then. But then also you watch a movie like The Goonies or Sandlot or the, some of these movies that I have a real fondness for of like, I remember watching this as a kid. Like I watch it now with my kids and I was like, man, I really forgot that they talked like this, you know, like, yeah, like it's so funny to think back of like, we talk about how conservative things were on TV and what was like pushing the envelope. You can get away with a lot more, but also the kids programming isn't as like rough. Like the kids don't talk back to their parents or, or say, you know, like there's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to think of a perfect example, but the Goonies no, and the exactly Sandlot were mean. for sure two that jumped out that I've watched recently with my son. Yeah. And I was like, don't say that. <laughs> you know, I tell him like, yeah. don't say that. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's certainly not a Disney Channel show where they show a statue of a penis and them trying to glue it back together. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And them saying that's my mom's favorite piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> that bit is so it good, is man. So good, it's so freaking oh, funny. Um, that movie's so great. I want to move on into our next bit. What were your favorite snacks growing up? Oh my gosh, dude! They're still my favorite snacks. That's the problem. Yeah, I know. Uh, you're, you're like, you mean like what I talk about in all of my hours? Yeah, yeah. You mean, <laughs> you mean what I bought yesterday? Yeah. Uh, I went, I think I told this in our comedy room one night, but I was like, Billy Gardell, who is like an amazing comedian. And he, he was cast as the fat guy on a show about a fat guy. He told me that I shop at the grocery store, like a high six year old. So when someone like that is calling you out for your eating habits, you know that you have not evolved as a person. That's a heroin addict telling you to slow down. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) that's a great joke. (laughs) I'm like, hey, man, you're going a little too hard on this. (laughs) Like sugar cereals were the the end all be all. I mean, they were breakfast. You're in the right place, man. That's my favorite snack of all time. They were breakfast and we called it a night snack in my house. You have a bowl before bed. But all of them. I mean, Cookie Crisp, Fruity Pebbles, Cocoa Pebbles, Apple Jacks. I'm still a sucker for like some kind of special edition, you know, only available for a limited time type thing. Like I'm on board with all of that. Oreos today, you know, I'll try like any kind of special edition Oreo that comes out. I mean, I'm just, I have the sweetest sweet tooth of anybody that you will ever meet for sure. And so one of my side gigs that I started, it's actually been eight years, which is crazy to think, but I handle all of the social media for Mentos and for Airheads Candy. So if anybody ever interacts with either one of those brands online, they're interacting with me and they don't know it. But when I first started, they had me doing a lot of content. Like they wanted me to post on Facebook like every other day for the brands. So when I started, they sent me a case of every flavor of every product of Airheads and Mentos. And my office looked like a candy store. And it was like the worst possible. I put on 25 pounds just eating candy mindlessly because that's how I still live my life. That's crazy. I love it so much. That's the best. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You're in good company, man. I mean, it's funny. You were talking about cereal and something that I love talking about on this podcast is cereal because I feel like that's the food that is the all encompassing food of childhood. It's always the food that just reminds you of sitting down on Saturday morning and watching cartoons and things like that. So every episode of this podcast, I like to review a box of cereal with my guests. Oh, sweet. uh, Yeah, man. And uh, I like to choose a cereal that has something to do with my guest in some way, shape or form. I kind of give them their spirit cereal, if you will. (laughs) So I spoke with my sponsors over at Kellogg's. Now, by sponsor, I mean that I like them and I buy all of their products. And by spoke to, I mean that I tweeted them repeatedly and they never got back to me. So the cereal that I got for you is Little Debbie Oatmeal Cream Pie Cereal. 
Can I tell you something funny? Yeah. That was a Christmas gift from my wife this year. Was it? That's, that's amazing. That's dude. how good you are at, at what you do. <laughs> I love it. That's the Instagram clip that there's proof that in the pudding <laughs> that I'm good at my job. That's so good, dude. I got this for you because, look, man, I know that you're a sweets guy and I know that you're a cereal dude. And I don't know, man, like little Debbie's seems to be like the all encompassing, like sweet tooth kind of guy thing. You know, this sparked a whole debate. Oh, oh my gosh. I feel like I'm related to little Debbie. Um, (laughs) I made I made a little Debbie joke in our clubhouse room two weeks ago and no one got it. Uh, And I I didn't I didn't feel heard, as the kids like to say. But um, I've had the cereal. It's good. I'm a fan. There's a, certainly a nostalgia element to it. The only thing I wish they'd done is had some sort of prize inside. I don't know if that was a big factor for you, but a lot of times I would debate what cereal I was going to buy based on the prize inside. So we would mix it up. We would have honey smacks. We would have uh, cinnamon toast crunch. We would have corn pops. And it was like the, the box like you're showing mm-hmm. and what was inside sometimes was as important as the cereal itself. Absolutely. This is a lost art form as well, but sometimes you would mail in proof of purchases for bigger prizes. Yes, you're right. Yeah. I remember I didn't get, I, they used to do the, my favorite was these, uh, they were little sticky octopuses. They were called like wall walkers or something. You would get it out and you would throw it against the wall. And then it would just like, it had all like the eight arms and it would just kind of like, like a little arm would grab as it like went down the wall. I was obsessed with them. Like any cereal that had them in there, like I wanted one. And it was always a fight between my sister and I who got it. Dude, I mean, there's just so many. Like I could list a thousand cereals that I loved. Pac-Man, Mr. T, like old school stuff that's not around anymore. But I have a question. You got to try all that. I have a question for you and I think you'll appreciate this. And it might take some thought. It might be a, it might be something you add to this podcast and ask future mm-hmm. guests because we got into, so I, I've been streaming video games. Again, if you can't figure out, I'm a giant child. So several, <laughs> several nights a week, I get on Facebook live under a video game account page that I created and I stream myself playing video games and talking to my friends in the chat on the Facebook page, but then also the people I'm playing video games with. And it's sort of like a, a live podcast kind of deal. And so a topic that came up a couple months ago was you had to pick two cereals. Okay. That you could combine together that would make a tasty combination, but they couldn't, you couldn't do like cocoa puffs and cocoa crispies or cocoa puffs and cocoa pebbles. Like it couldn't be two things that obviously would taste good together. Like we really want you to think outside the cereal box here of like two cereals that would taste good when combined. Man, this is a great question. The one that I thought of that I have not tried yet that I want to try out is Apple Jacks and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I just feel yeah, that like that like apple cinnamon would play well together. What's the one that that is leading in my brain right now of like, I think that we could be onto something here. Yeah, I think on a healthier option, I would go Honey Nut Cheerios and Grape Nuts. That would be Oof. like a good texture. That would be a good three hours on the toilet. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Grape that's nuts true. Also a good nuts. three hours eating it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you've had grape nuts before. It's like eating a tree. <laughs> um, but 
man, that's so good, man. It's harder than you think. It's really it harder really, than you think. I think you're on to something with Apple Jacks and Cinnamon Toast Crunch, man. I want someone like, who's listening to tag one of us or both of us on, on uh, social media with their suggestion. And then maybe yeah, we have a sure. follow-up show someday where we test out people's suggestions. Yes. Okay. That is a great idea. That's like a live show idea right there. Love it. Man. Give it some thought. This is, it's tough. This is too good of a of a question, man. I want to move on into this next bit here. Okay. We've already reviewed the cereal. However, since we're Zoom conferencing, I want to do something a little bit more fun to kind of do like a ad for Little Debbie Oatmeal Cream Pie Cereal. Now, it would be fun to do an ad, but I think it would be more fun to do it as Little Debbie. So what I would like for you to do, Josh Sneed, is for you to... Do the best oatmeal cream pie cereal commercial or ad for all of our listeners here as Little Debbie. And once this is all edited, I'll put music underneath it. It's going to sound great. Let me ask you so a question when, before yeah, go I try this. How clean is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you want, man. <laughs> I just thought of we, a, we don't have terrible, a terrible, terrible tagline. <laughs> Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> here we go. Whenever you're ready, Josh. All right, let's see here. Do you remember oatmeal cream pies as a kid? Well, now you can have them in a bowl of cereal every single day. Hi, I'm Little Debbie here to tell you about oatmeal cream pie cereal. The crispy oatmeal cereal with a cream crunch that was sure to please your family every day. But give it to the kids because let me tell you, these aren't your daddy's cream pies. that's so good man terrible oh man yeah little debbie oatmeal cream pies ladies and gentlemen they said it couldn't be done they were probably right but we did it i'm waiting for the Uh, star crunch cereal star crunch is not out yet but cosmic brownies is out what yeah so i think i think star crunch would be now that now that i think about it how about this what about reese's puffs and Cocoa Krispies to kind of give it a star crunch. I mean, that's extra. good. That's good. But it's a little bit of cheating because there is chocolate already in the yeah, Reese's you're right. Puffs. Um, you're right. I'll tell you a cereal that I really miss is Rice Krispie Treats cereal. It was like clumps yeah, the of rice. Original? Yeah, I really like mm-hmm. that. And my favorite cereal that's out right now, it's so simple, but it's kind of what we're talking about. And so you can't pick it. There's a s'mores cereal out right now that's yeah. really good. It's like Cocoa Puffs and Golden Grams and then marshmallows. It is like you're putting the whole box away as soon as you open it. Yeah, I think Kellogg's makes the s'mores one. There's also another one that they do called Drumstick. It's like the ice cream. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've tried that. I've but, not tried uh, the cereal. There's one uh, called Mint Chocolate. It's a cocoa puff. Uh, it's green and minty. And then there's like chocolate wafers and then golden grams. So like the chocolate wafers are essentially like chocolate cookie crisps uh, and then golden grams. It's really great. I love a good cookie crisp uh, cereal. Yeah, me too. Robert Hawkins, who uh, if you have fans out there who have never heard of Robert Hawkins, he is in terms of like comedians that I've seen over the course of doing stand up for 20 years of like guys that you're mad aren't globally famous because everyone should know who they are. Robert Hawkins is the top of the list for me. And um, I worked on a bit with him that he does about 
lucky charms and how kids these days, you know, they can buy boxes that are like all marshmallows. And it's like, when we were a kid, you had to earn that marshmallow finale, right? You, you pick around, you pick around all the marshmallows to get the, the oat pieces out. There'd always be like one marshmallow that tried to sneak in on the bottom of the spoon and you'd have to make sure it didn't get in there. And then you were rewarded at the end with a bowl of marshmallows. Yeah, man, that's such a funny premise. I mean, I I remember I had Matthew Zaremba, who's an artist. He's incredible uh, on the podcast. And he was like, I didn't like the grains from Lucky Charms. I only like the marshmallows. And I was like, well, you can only buy the marshmallows. And then he was like, yeah, but then there's no work. Right. What's the what's the congratulatory like (laughs) gift for all the work that I did? Exactly. And I was like, that is such a funny idea to look at it like that, you know, and that's what a, what a great premise for a joke. That's so funny. Yeah. Same with captain crunch, crunch berries. You can buy oops, all berries, but it's like, why, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You have to tear the roof off of your mouth to appreciate (laughs) the goodness of a captain crunch berry. That's right. (laughs) You're right. So, I remember one time I was at uh, the, there was a comedy club in the mall of America. They had this, this like area in the mall that was consistently rotating with different exhibits. And one yeah. of the times that I was there, there was a cereal exhibit and uh, it was either Kellogg's or General Mills. And I apologize to your friends at Kellogg's if it was General Mills, but <laughs> it's okay. But, um, General Mills are friends too. So. All right. So, uh, but they, they had like this whole cereal exhibit. They had these like play set made of like cereal for kids to climb on. But then they had, you know, when you go to like a candy store, they have the different jelly belly, jelly bean flavors sort of separated out that you can, they had that, but with cereal and you could make a box of your own. And I, you know, I wasn't, in the, in the mindset of trying to figure out a really good combination. So back then I just did like a whole, like I put everything in there, you know, I was like not putting a lot of thought into it, but, uh, but you would have really appreciated it, Mike. Man, can I tell you if I had stupid money and if calories didn't matter, I would have that in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember ice cream cone cereal? It sounds familiar. See, some of these are going to be before your time. I really liked Pac-Man. I'm going back just to remind myself some Donkey Kong was a good cereal. I know the big one that like the holy grail for cereal is Nintendo cereal. Nintendo was really good. I do remember that. It was like a Zelda Mario brother yeah, uh, which I never got to try that. I was I wasn't even born eat. when it came out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. T was great. That got a cameo in the Pee Wee's Big Adventure movie. Yeah. C3PO's. That was a cereal. <laughs> there were some really great ones, but I'm still to this day, if I see something like that, I got to try it to say that I tried it. I'm the same way, man. Like frozen two cereal. Yes, please. It's good. Like- <laughs> I've had it. It's good. There's a frozen ice cream bad. too, which of <laughs> yeah. course there should be a frozen ice cream and it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This episode of Childlike at Best with Mike Valdez is brought to you by the Crunch Cup. Save time in the morning by taking your cereal on the go. Simply add cereal to the inner cup, milk into the outer cup, screw on the lid, and you're ready to crunch. Eat cereal in the car, at your desk, or anywhere else you want. Go to thecrunchcup.com to purchase what I think is a genius invention and use the discount code MikeValdez10. That's Mike, M-I-K-E, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S, the number 10, to save 10% off of your order. You can also sign up for their monthly giveaway to win a year's supply of cereal. So what are you waiting for? 
go to thecrunchcup.com and use promo code MikeValdez10 to save 10% off of your order. The Crunch Cup, it's better than spooning. This episode of Childlike at Best with Mike Valdez is also brought to you by Real Good Foods. If you're a longtime Childlike at Best listener, you know about Real Good Foods. They have incredibly tasty, low-carb, keto-friendly meals like cauliflower crust pizza, stuffed chicken, breakfast sandwiches, and ice cream. But now Real Good Foods has a brand new product, low-carb, high-protein entree bowls. And look, I'm talking chicken lasagna, lemon chicken, Mongolian beef, creamy carbonara, cauliflower mash and braised beef. I mean, guys, this is absolutely incredible. And during this time of lockdown, it is really nice to just have something that you can throw in the microwave and know that you're actually getting good ingredients and it's actually tasty as well. So check out realgoodfoods.com and use the promo code BESTIE to save 15% off of your order. That's realgoodfoods.com. Use promo code BESTIE to save 15% off of your order at checkout. Real Good Foods. Keep it real. I want to move on into what you're doing now, man. There's so much to to go off of, but I want to get to know, like, when did you start? I mean, you, you said you've been doing comedy for 20 years, but like, what was the thing that made you say, OK, I'm going to start. I'm going to go on an open mic and I'm going to try this out. It was Saturday Night Live. I was living in Cincinnati. I, I knew I wanted to be on SNL. I wasn't sure how to start, you know, other than I knew a lot of people came from Second City in Chicago. So I... um I thought, well, let me just see if I can make people laugh on stage. I never really had stage fright because I did a lot of public speaking in college. So that really wasn't an issue for me. It was really just finding material. And so I went, did an open mic night. I invited everyone that I had ever known to come watch me. I packed the place out with friends and I just, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And I just became an absolute sponge. And of course, you know, I was 20 years old. I was a month before my 21st birthday. So, you know, I was single. I had a, I had a job. I wasn't in college. I was working as an IT guy for Procter & Gamble here in Cincinnati. And so I had a day job, but every moment I had free at night, I spent at the comedy club, either at an open mic or the club here in Cincinnati was really good at letting the local comics come to shows for free. And so I was, I was just an absolute sponge watching every headliner that I could. And then eventually I kind of worked my way up to be like the go-to kind of MC for Cincinnati. And we only had one club at the time. So I got my pick of whoever came through first of who I wanted to work with. And I mean, it was like Chappelle, Gaffigan, Bill Burr, Louis C.K., Mitch Hedberg, David Tell, Greg Giraldo. I mean, it's just like everybody's favorite comics now. They were just like the hot thing. Like everyone's talking about them within the business of comedy. They weren't household names like some of them are now. So I would just, I would just snatch up all the weeks with like these like, now comedy icons and just like learn as much as I could and watch and just be in awe. Jimmy Pardo, Robert Hawkins, again, Eddie Gosling, Ron White. I mean, you name it, I probably got to work with them and try to learn from them. Robert Schimmel, Patrice O'Neill. I mean, just so, so many of them. So one thing that I can say is like, I have a a pretty good bomb story, but... (laughs) I think you probably have the best. And 
<laughs> and I hate to ask you to relive it, but can you please <laughs> can you please tell me about the time that you bombed at, the baseball at a, game? a baseball game? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, like looking back to like it was probably the most like amazing bomb in terms of just the way that this story kind of plays out but it wasn't the bomb that made me like question whether i ever wanted to do stand-up again like i've had those (laughs) also like i'll tell you this story too gary owen who uh is a comedian that is from cincinnati he was doing a um (laughs) an urban show here that was mimicking kind of like Showtime at the Apollo that he was hosting. Mm-hmm. And he was promoting it with Bengals wide receiver, Chad Ocho Cinco Johnson. Okay. And so Chad Johnson was like the most popular Bengals player. Everyone loved him. My business partner uh, in my t-shirt company is an artist. He had done this amazing Chad Johnson painting that I bought off of him and had hanging in my house. And so one night Gary Owen calls me and he's like, Hey, you want to come do this show? And I was like, I don't know. You know, it's a pretty rough show because sometimes it doesn't matter how funny you are. They've just already decided before you said a word that they don't of like course. you. Right. Yeah. And so he was like, no, I'll give you a good intro, you know, and, and everything. He's like, Chad will be there. And I've been wanting to get this painting signed. So I'm like, all right, man, I'll, I'll come down. I was like, I'm going to bring this painting and try to get it signed by Chad. And he's like, yeah, do it. He's super cool. So <laughs> I go down to the funny bone and I bring my, I bring my painting and uh, it is packed. I mean, like they're turning people away. There's so many people in there and they are loud. They are rowdy. And so I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I should do this or not. And so he, he, cause I, I don't look like anyone else on the show, right? I am, I am the white guy wearing a polo shirt with jeans, you know, talking about farting on Jessica. Yeah. Well, I didn't even get that far. So he, he, (laughs) he says, he's like, all right, I'm going to bring up the next comedian, you know? And, uh, He's like, y'all ready? And they were just kind of like, you know, and he's like, he's been seen on Comedy Central, blah, blah, blah. Give it up for Josh Sneed. And there's this like tepid applause as I'm like walking up to the stage and I get to the microphone. And by the time I get it out of the mic stand, everyone is completely silent. And I was like, hey, everybody, how's it going? You suck. And I was like, (laughs) geez. All right. I go, so the other day I was, we don't want to hear it. And I was like, oh my God. So I'm just like, this has never happened to me before where I don't even get a word in. And so um, I go, you know what? I just, maybe this was a bad idea. And I just kind of put, and somebody's like, yeah, it was. And I put the mic in the mic stand. And I start to walk off stage and Gary like sprints up to the stage and he starts scolding the audience. He's like, I am disappointed in you. I can't believe you would do that. This was my friend. He's He's been on TV. That is not the way to treat people. I'm going to bring him back up here. And I'm over off to the side like, do not bring me back up here. I do not want to come back up there. He's like, I'm bringing him back up here. And you guys are going to give him some respect. And I was like, oh, no, what are you doing, man? He's like, let's try this again. Are you ready for your next comic? And they were kind of like, Mur. and he's like, are you ready for your next comic? And they're like, yeah. So he introduces me again. They're like, they're clapping. I'm like, oh, all right. So I get to the mic, pull it out of the mic stand. I'm like, so the other day I was, boo. And the whole place just starts booing me again. And I was like, nope. Man. And I put the mic back in the mic stand. 
and I left and I got Chad to sign my thing on the way out. So it was like the, the silver lining to that night. But right. my God, I questioned everything after that night. <laughs> that's awful. It is that's like, not, that's, I mean, the only, it, it, it reminded me because like Keenan Wayans, he has this story about Andy Kaufman that is very similar where he was doing this bit. It was like all silence and about halfway through people just start booing him and he just starts crying. Right. <laughs> and Keenan is like, same exact thing where he's just like, oh man, like I'm disappointed in you guys. Like, you know, he's, you know, he's on taxi and like, you know, all these different things and like, let's bring him back. He's going to, you know, let's give him another chance. And they bring him back. He clap, like everybody claps. They bring him back and he just does the same bit again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, that's hilarious though. Like that's a guy who doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Like he does, he can get away with that. Like I'm a fragile young comic, you know, Yeah. thinking that I'm The thing invincible. is though, like the thing that was, that's really ballsy about him is he's willing to go through a lot of pain for the reward later Yeah, because people are never going to stop telling that story. Right. But he had to go through a lot of pain to do that. Well, I didn't have that yeah. kind of foresight. I just had. Yeah. <laughs> And if I hadn't gotten my painting signed, it would have gone up as like one of the worst <laughs> nights of my comedy career. But That's the bri hysterical. the bridge version of the story that you're referring to is a true story. I talk about how when you start doing stand up, you don't know there's jobs you're not supposed to take. And so I was presented with an opportunity to perform at the Dayton Dragons, which is the single A affiliate for the Reds. I was asked to perform at one of the games and, and their, um, their idea was that I would dress up like an umpire and that I would come out between innings and they would tell people that the umpire was a comedian and I would wear the mask and do my standup. Well, right before I was supposed to go out there, the real umpire makes a terrible call, gets into an argument with the star player and the manager of the dragons and ejects them out of the game. And now I have to go out, 30 seconds later, pretending to be him and try to get people to laugh at me. And so um, if people want to hear the full story, it's online. It's called It's Good to Be Here. And the way that it became part of my act, because I never really had thought, I feel like subconsciously sometimes we block out what could be a really good bit for our act because it was a yeah. horrible memory. Oh. <laughs> but I was on Bob and Tom and they were talking about, we got to talking about like gigs that went horribly awry. And I told that story and he was like, you have to tell that on stage. And so what I do is when I would go on stage, I would say, hey, everybody, it's good to be here. And I know that you always hear comedians say that and you think that we don't mean it, but I mean it. It's good to be here because this is a good gig. And I know that because I've done terrible gigs. And then I tell the story about this terrible gig and close by saying, so yeah, it's good to be here. But the gig goes horribly awry. The people hate me. One of the guys who runs around on the field with the mascot, he is a linebacker for the New York Jets. He throws t-shirts into the crowd. Everyone loves him. He told me he would come save me if the gig went bad. So he comes jogging out of the dugout at a full sprint and just spears me, tackles me as hard as I've ever been hit by someone, harder than car wrecks that I've been in and I'm lay, laying on the field. And his idea of saving me was that he would save the bit by pretending like he was saving the day by saving the audience from having to hear any more <laughs> of my act. 
And so he like picks me up off the ground. The place is losing their minds. They're so excited that this guy just kicked my ass. And I'm like, I literally can't breathe. He has me over his shoulder, carrying me to the dugout. And I'm like going, and then in the, and then underground, he says, were you crying out there? And I was like, no, I've, I couldn't breathe. Like I thought I had a, an injury to my sternum. Like I, I literally, I legitimately thought I was going to die and you're making fun of me. And I've only been paid $35 to do this stupid gig in the first place. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, guys, it's good to be here. <laughs> That's so funny, dude. Oh, I wish there was footage it. of it. People don't believe me, but I wish there was footage of it. There's a lot of people that witnessed it. I mean, it was the Dayton dragons famously for a single a ball club. They've sold out every game they've ever had in like 22 years. They've sold out every single game. So there was like 11,000 people there that saw it that night. Holy cow. Yeah. Including my parents who I said, hey, mom and dad, why don't you come watch me do stand up in front of a stadium full of people? And then they proceeded to watch their baby boy get tossed around like a rag doll on the baseball (laughs) field because everybody was booing them and throwing hot dogs and pretzels at them. (laughs) 100% true story. Again, it's one of those things where like in the moment it was a nightmare, but you got to be kind of grateful. I am. (laughs) And we talk about this on our clubhouse, you know, that like our clubhouse show where we try to recreate the green room of a comedy club. That's what a green room is. It's us telling probably the worst things that have ever happened to us and everyone else in the room listening, laughing like it's the funniest thing they've ever heard. Like that is the (laughs) essence of the green room of a comedy club is to laugh at pain of everybody else. Yeah. I mean, to be fair though, I feel like the only reason why comics laugh at other comics is because we've, know the pain yeah you know yeah we can relate yeah we don't have the same story but we can relate right you know right man that's (laughs) that's hilarious dude i mean my bomb story i've told it a few times on the podcast and there's many uh that people can listen to that are in the archives um somewhere but once i heard your bomb story i was like wow that is pretty horrible like for sure that's probably the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Well, what's yours? Like, like ever. what, what was my genesis of yours? <laughs> so mine was, I did a audition as a standup for a variety show. And for the audition, they decided to have a full audience of people, but they liquored them up with free alcohol. <laughs> Always a great. <laughs> and idea. so also when I was signing the NDA and all that stuff, they were like, Hey, don't let the gong intimidate you. And I go, what do you mean? And they go, I said, don't let the gong intimidate you. And I looked inside and sure as Japan is a country in Asia, there is a gong on that stage. And apparently what they were going to do was if the audience didn't like what the performer was doing, they had signs that would say bang that gong and a guy dressed up like a ninja would come out and bang the gong and you would have to leave the stage. (laughs) So (laughs) there's comedians, dancers, singers, all kinds of stuff. (laughs) And so I'm watching a lot of comedians go up. Now, every single comedian is bombing. In fact, they're bombing so hard that the comics thought of a game where we were where we thought we should time every comedian and the person that stays up there the longest wins. That's hilarious. And I won our contest and I was on stage for 36 seconds. Uh, That fast. (laughs) 
that's, but let me ask you this. Like the one saving grace I have from the story about the Chad Johnson show was like, I knew it wasn't my material, right? Because I didn't even have time to get into my material. So right. like it would have been worse to be up there for five minutes and get silence or no laughs or booze, right? 100%. Than it is to like, yeah. just realize like they've already decided they don't like me and they're not going to give me a chance to make them like yeah. me. 100%. In fact, the booker for the show wanted to book me on the actual show, but she asked me when I was like still heated from the moment. Yeah. And I just turned the show down. Yeah. You know, to where if she had asked me the next day, I probably would have done it because I just didn't have the foresight. Like I was just upset, you know, because I was just like, come on, man, like this isn't even fair. And like none of the comics are even getting to talk. And, you know, and the reason why the, the comics were bombing was because there was silence. There was no music playing. So you couldn't hear people. Yeah. You know, like, like, and so when there's, when it's just one person talking, you can hear people booing and, you know, all these different things. Have you heard the Bill that, Burr rant, the Bill Burr Philadelphia rant? Yeah. And I wish that I had gotten enough time to do something like that because I remember specifically, I said my first joke and halfway through my setup they started booing and screaming bang that gong and then i just started making fun of them and i was like oh you guys are just you guys just don't like silence like that's really all this is it's something you don't like me is that you don't like silence and then the crowd started laughing but then they were still like bang that gong like like can you can you imagine someone booing you while laughing at your joke like what yeah like, yeah <laughs> like that's literally what it was <sighs> and so that happened and that's actually not even the reason why it's a bad show the reason why it's the worst possible moment of my entire life is because the next acts were drag queens now this is all completely fine i'm all for the drag community all that kind of stuff however they had all of the people auditioning on the catwalk of this stage so one of these drag queens came up and was wearing I'm trying to describe this correctly, was wearing fishnets that were basically all over their body and they were covering up, but essentially naked like you could see yeah. his or her balls. Um, and so I was really in my feelings and I'm just ducked down. I'm not even looking. And I guess in their music, they had a cue. And they chose me to be a part of their musical cue, but I didn't engage because I was upset. And so I guess either out of anger or out of I'll show him or maybe I'm just trying to make his day better or whatever. They got in front of me and did kind of like <laughs> kind of like a center fielder <laughs> uh, football thing and hiking a football and smashed his ball sack into my forehead. Oh, no. um, and <laughs> and and uh, I've had some pretty bad shows, but nothing is ever as bad as getting someone's nuts on your getting, forehead. Getting dumped so. on by a drag queen. <laughs> so that's why that's the worst bomb I've ever had. Oh, man. Your consolation <laughs> but, prize is a teabag. I mean, that is yeah, just. Oh, my God, dude. It was crazy. I mean, <laughs> the, I mean, and the thing that sucked, too, is that obviously it made everyone laugh. And I'm like, oh, great. Like the comics can't make him laugh. But like this guy puts his balls on my forehead. <laughs> but then it's like it, it goes back to high school where like you're the funny kid. And but like you still don't get as much 
you still don't get as much respect as like the guy making fart noises because he's the quarterback of the football team. Right. But then, but then at some point, like I've tried to convince myself and maybe I haven't done a great job of it of like, if that's what wins this contest, do I really want to win this contest? You know what I mean? Exactly. Like I used to go after I used to be obsessed with comment cards. Like when I first started doing stand up, where they would, you know, every club had the same comment card where it's like, get you on, get on our mailing list and tell us what comics you'd like to see here. And especially when I was very first started headlining, I'd go get all the comment cards for the night or for the week. And I'd go through them and I would see like what they thought of the show. But then I would look at who they wanted to see at the club. And then I would determine whether or not I liked their opinion. So it'd be like, (laughs) if they were like, I love this guy. And then they would also request like five comics that I thought were terrible. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to like me. I don't want to be lumped in with them. That's so funny. I mean, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this, man. Dry Bar Comedy, you have 2.5 million views on your special, which I love so much. I mean, Thank what you. was how, how did you get together with Dry Bar and like how how has it been beneficial for your career? <clears throat> so a buddy of mine, uh, Patrick Keen, very funny comedian, had told me he did like season one. And he had said, you know, you'd be perfect for it because you have to be clean. That's the biggest thing. And I'm, I'm pretty clean anyway. And he said, you would, you'd be really good for this. And at the time, the only way you could watch the dry bar specials was through their service. They basically were partnered up with this service called VidAngel, which I called Mormon Netflix. Mm-hmm. They got in a lot of trouble because what they were doing is they were taking like popular movies and TV shows and then they were editing out like all the curse words or the violence or the nudity or whatever. You know, I always joke that like the <laughs> episode of Game of Thrones on VidAngel was like 46 seconds or something. um, it's just the theme song yeah and (laughs) and then it goes right to the credits yeah um (laughs) and so the exposure side of it was never really a big thing for me in terms of like why i would i would want to do it and so i talked to a couple people about it and i knew that they did a really great job of filming it i mean it's like an eight camera shoot And you get a copy of your set when you're done. So what enticed me was to be able to get a new tape that I could then hopefully use to work in a club or at the time even send to colleges or or even some corporate stuff. I thought the very least I'll get a really good tape out of it. And so I went out and I did it and I did material that I had pretty much done either on an album or on TV before. I didn't do really any new material and that was on purpose um, because I wasn't sure where all that it could possibly end up. So I didn't want to burn any like new material on there with it being such an unknown. So I did this special. I was really happy with how it went. They were super kind to me. And then at some point between when I filmed it and it came out, they struck a deal with Facebook and they be, they became one of the first Facebook pages that was trying this new method of advertising because Facebook really wanted content. They were sick of people leaving Facebook to go to YouTube or other places to watch stuff. They wanted people to stay on Facebook. So Drybar was one of the like experimental pages that they worked with for this new, you know, like you watch a video and there's an ad with it. And so the person whose video it is gets like a little bit of revenue. Well, when they did that dry bar just exploded, like unbelievably exploded. And my special came out right in the, in the middle of it. 
So I, I was really happy with how it came out, but then I was also very lucky with the exposure that it got from the platform. And what they were doing is they were chopping it up. They weren't releasing the whole thing. They were chopping it up into like three or four minute clips and each one was getting like millions and millions of views. And I think total now between YouTube and Facebook, between all the little clips and the full special, which is on both of them now, I mean, it's over like 50 million views, which is crazy because nothing that I've ever done for like Comedy Central or Last Comic Standing, none of that got the kind of exposure that Drybar brought me. And it was something that I never expected when I signed up for it. So I was really lucky. It was the right place, right time kind of thing. And I was luckily in a point in my career where I was able to take advantage of it, you know, but it's insane the amount of new fans or work that I've gotten from something that I really had no, no aspirations of it doing any of that for me. Yeah, it's a new age, man, because doing a popular podcast is sometimes better than doing The Tonight Show now. Yeah. You know, like if you were on Rogan, you're, you get more exposure than going on Fallon. Yeah, it's crazy. You know? Which is nuts, you know, and it's like, and that's, I mean, granted, that's not to say that going on Fallon wouldn't get you exposure. It definitely will. But you just never know what the next trend is going to be. Right. And that's why, like, Bill Burr did the same thing with Netflix. Like, he, he did his special with Netflix when Netflix was nothing. And then it became this huge deal. Like, this was back when Netflix was sending DVDs out, you know, and yep. he did his first special with them. And it changed his career, you know, so I would say it's the same thing with you and Drybar, you know, yeah. where because of that, you're able to get exposure and you can do more rooms and bigger rooms across the country because people know your name and people know who you are and they they know what to expect when they go, you know, to a Josh Neen show. Yeah. And that's um, a double edged sword, you know, because I'm I'm not always that squeaky clean. And I think sometimes people come out to a comedy club and expect it to be like squeaky clean because that's what they saw in dry bar. So I try to keep it as close right. to that as I can. But you but you run the risk of, you know, I know several other people who've done it where their dry bar show was nothing like their actual act. You know, yeah. and then it's like you really risk disappointing people when they show up, which is something that I obviously never want to do. But, you know, like Clubhouse is another example, um, which is kind of how you and I got like officially connected. But I kind of exactly. this could be the beginning of something huge. And it's the same thing. It's like you want to have your ducks in a row and be the person synonymous with that platform, whether it was like Dane Cook on MySpace or, you know, whatever it is. Like if people, once it becomes a thing, if you've already established yourself on there as like, well, if you're going to go to Clubhouse, you need to go to the Comedy Lounge because like Scott and Josh and all those guys have figured out what, how to do it. That's how that feels. That's what's exciting about Clubhouse for me right now is the potential of it when it opens up of like already being set up and having, you know, something in place for people to enjoy when they when the mass amounts of people get there. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's crazy because I originally got on the app because I just wanted to gain my Instagram following. That's literally the only reason why. And it helped. I mean, I, it, I've i gotten 600 followers since I've joined uh, on my Instagram, however, it, which is great. However, I enjoy Clubhouse way more than I enjoy Instagram. <laughs> you yeah, know? Totally. Like it, Clubhouse is just way more fun. And it's People are being very genuine and it's really difficult to be fake on that app. And when you are, you can smell it from a mile away. Not only that, the best thing, at least to me, is that 
it reminds me of the beginning of the quarantine where as comedians or performers, we all just got on the same playing field and there was no hierarchy anymore. Yep. You know, there's no verified symbols. There's no like anything, you know, and you go into a comedy room and if you're funny, someone that has a movie career can be like, you're funny, yeah. you know, and let's be friends. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. nuts. Yeah. You know, like Randy Singer is just like in the comedy lounge and like hearing us tell fart jokes and bomb stories and a bunch of stuff. And, and it's like, that's the woman who wrote Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and she's just sitting here telling us that we're funny and showing us pictures of Robin Williams in makeup and, you know, all these different things. It's just crazy. And that's one of the reasons why that app is so great because there's just no hierarchy. There's no celebrity to it, really. Right. You know, if you're a genuine person, you're going to succeed. For and sure. That's basically it. For sure. You know. I want to ask you these last two questions and then I'm going to let you go. You can answer them however you'd like. There's no wrong answer. You can answer them comedically. You can answer them vulnerably, however you'd like. The first question I'm going to ask you is what advice would you give to the child version of yourself? To the child version of myself? Oh, man. You know, like I said, like looking back, like I don't feel like I took anything for granted as a kid, whether it was like what my dad did for a living or what my mom did for a living or, you know, the fact that they were still married until he passed away and like how uncommon that is for a lot of people. I, I just I don't look back and feel like I didn't appreciate it in the time. But early comedian me, I would tell him to appreciate those moments, whether it's the new friends you make, the guys that you come up with. I mean, my class of comedians is like Dan Cummins, Roy Wood Jr., Chad Daniels, Pete Lee. I mean, like some of the funniest people on the planet. And we were all starting at the same time together and figuring out the business together. And then, you know, we get older, we go our separate ways in the business or even down the same paths. And you just, you know, whether it's family or, or distance or timing. You don't get those moments anymore. And then even in taking that a step further, like as you're coming up in comedy, everything you do that is cooler than what you did before you think is your new normal. And you never know what level you get to that it starts to kind of come back down again. And so like when I was touring as the opener for the blue collar comedy tour guys, Ron White, Bill Ingvall and Larry the Cable Guy, at the time you know, I was, let's see, I would have been like 26, 27. I thought that was my new normal. You know, like I thought that that was just the next step. And I don't really think that I appreciated those moments of feeling like a rock star, you know, of being on a stage in front of like 12,000 people because you just think like, okay, well now I'm the opener for these guys. And then eventually like, I'll be these guys. And, you know, like, I don't need to soak it in as much as, as, uh, as I should. And I, and I wish I had done that more and I wish I had been more appreciative to those people for those opportunities, because that, that is a very rare opportunity to be able to work with people like that in those environments. And also just the people that I was around, like the Hedbergs and the Patrice O'Neills and the Greg Giraldos, like we don't know how long we have them for, you know, I was never not, uh, super thankful to get to to go on the road with Hedberg, but I just, I wish I'd, I'd done more of it or, or spent more time with him because I just always assumed he'd be around. Yeah, of course, man. He was an incredible person. And I mean, you have amazing stories from doing 
the road with him and stuff that you've shared before. And I'm sure that I'll hear more of, you know, in the future. Oh, and to buy Bitcoin, but, I would also buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, I, I was kind of talking with you in the room last night about this, but I, I kind of feel that when we're performers and we're in the business as any kind of performer, the magic kind of starts to die because like exactly like what you said, the new normal, it's the it's this new normal that we have and, and we're thinking about what's next and all these different kinds of things. And a lot of these studio heads and a lot of these people that are the gatekeepers don't necessarily believe in the magic that we believed in when we were kids, which is the what initially inspired us to be like, I'm going to tell jokes and I'm going to make money off of that. Yeah. You know, or like I'm going to be on TV, you know, or whatever, Yeah, which is a crazy thought. But when you're a kid, you just have that dream and it inspires who you are. And so with that, my last question for you is what do you think that the kid version of Josh Sneed would think of who Josh Sneed is right now? <laughs> Man, I don't know, dude. That's a that's a tough question. I've, I feel I'm trying to get you to cry, dude. Here we go. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not letting it happen. <laughs> Um, I mean, I hope he would be proud. You know, it's like you start doing stand up because you love to make people laugh. Right. And one of the things that I noticed when I started doing stand up was there was these old headliners that were like the road dogs, like the real road dogs, like lived out of their car. Like I said, I was like 20, 20 years old the first time I ever went on stage. So I was, I was pretty young, especially for the first several years of, of really getting into like trying to make this a career. And there was just this consistency of guys that had been in relationships, whether they're married or had kids out of wedlock or whatever it was, but they didn't have a relationship with those people now because they weren't around. They just legitimately weren't around because they were always on the road. And whether that was out of necessity or not caring, like, I don't know, but it, it happened often enough. And knowing the relationship that I had with my dad, like I knew that if I ever had a family, I wanted to enjoy it. So in 2005, I started this t-shirt company with a buddy of mine. And the goal wasn't for the t-shirt company to be successful right out of the gate. It was literally like a seed that I was planting in hopes that one day, if I was married or had kids, it would make enough money that I didn't have to be on the road all the time, right? I didn't have to miss like coaching Little League or seeing first steps or whatever it, it was, right? And so one thing that I tell younger comics is, and I'm glad that I did this myself, is have something else, like whatever it is, whether it's saving your money from stand-up or finding some other kind of little side hustle that can grow in its own time while you're out on the road. Because you don't, you don't need it to be successful now. You, you're making your money doing comedy. You need to have money or a something generating money down the road. And it was all very selfish in a way that like I wanted to be able to be home. But what I didn't see it doing for me was number one, helping me live through a global pandemic. Like no, no one could have seen that coming. Right. But I mean, it's, it was huge for me last year when I couldn't do live shows, but more importantly, what it's done is it's kept stand up fun for me. You know, when you don't have to take every gig, when you can be selective of the gigs you take, because you know what you're leaving behind here to go do stand up. And so for me, I'm proud of making that decision when I did 
because it's paid off now and I can, I can be home and it's kept comedy fun, which is like the most important thing. Like that's what you want in this business is if you're going to keep doing it, you're doing it because you love it, not because you have to. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah. Whatever it is that lets you keep doing stand up because of your love of stand up or whatever you do, you don't have to be doing stand up, but if you're doing something you love, you know, it's like a cliche. You'll never work a day in your life, right? And so I never wanted stand-up to feel like a job. That's a wonderful sentiment and a wonderful way to end this episode. Um, don't lose that sense of childlike wonder, you know, because that's what we're all about here um, is just making sure that we are keeping that kid inspired and we're keeping the magic alive for that kid. And you don't need um, stand up to do that. You know, like stand up yeah. is what does it for me and probably you, but like my dad, I think working with toys, that's what did it for him. I, my, yeah. one of my favorite memories of my dad working at, at Kenner, the big thing for my sister and I was when we would be off school, but he had to work. My mom would take us to have lunch with him at Kenner. So we would go down, we would go into his, into the model shop where all the guys were, you know, and they had these like cubicles. It was like this giant room with machines and cubicles. And, um, you know, we'd pick him up, we'd say hi to everybody. We'd go to lunch. Then we'd come back, we'd say goodbye. He'd always take us to this, like, it was called the toy closet. And it was this big cage with all these toys in it that they kept. And the lady that was in charge of the toy closet would always let my sister and I pick out a toy to take home with us. It was like going to have lunch with my dad was like our favorite thing. Well, this one day it was, um, we were on Christmas break already, but it was his last day before he had a few days off for Christmas. So we go in and we open the door to the model shop and there is 20 grown men with Nerf guns having a full blown Nerf war, right? Ducking behind cubicles, like diving. I mean, there are, there is Nerf arrows and bullets and football. Like they are flying everywhere, and the boss and everyone is involved. And it was is what you just said, man. What an amazing, amazing story. That right there, dude, is childlike wonder. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. Oh, that's that's what a sight to see, man. I mean, how did you feel as a kid seeing that? Were you like, oh, I want to play? Yes, or yes. Like, I was <laughs> I was 100% <laughs> jealous that I was not involved, but it wasn't lost on me. I was old enough that it wasn't lost on me that like whatever it is that keeps that childlike wonder for you, hold on to. Yeah, of course, man. Josh, where can people find you online, man? Plug away. Oh, uh, just Josh Sneed, S-N-E-E-D. Just search for Josh Sneed. If you go to my website, you'll see the couple of dates that I've booked. I'm going to be adding more to them. But they'll, any of the social media platforms that you're on, it's probably just Josh Sneed, whether it's Twitter, or Instagram, or Facebook, or Clubhouse, or whatever the next thing is that I'll try to jump on and beat everybody to and hope that I become yeah. famous from it. Of course, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and if you have... Paramount Plus, Josh Needs Comedy Central presents is on there. If you have YouTube, uh, if you can afford YouTube, <laughs> it's um his drive our comedy special is on there. It's called Being Fat on YouTube, but wasn't it supposed to be called Just Desserts or Just Desserts? It was uh yeah, so the the backdrop they didn't let you pick and the backdrop for mine was this like Looney Tunes like almost like a cartoon desert. Yeah. 
And, uh, and on the special, I, that's the first thing I say when I come out, cause I have on like a sweater and a tie and, yeah. and I was like, I am not dressed appropriately for this background. And yeah. so I wanted to name it something and it was filmed in Utah. So I wanted to name it something that I thought was funny. And again, going back to what we talked about, I'm a huge fan of wordplay. So yeah. the name of the special is Josh Sneed live in the dessert because I have desert with two S's. So it's like live in the desert. But if you read it, you think it's a misspelling and it's live in the desert. That's amazing. Um, but, but the name of it is live in the dessert. Uh, that's so <laughs> it's so dumb. I love it. It's like, it makes me laugh. Yeah. I love it, man. That's so awesome. And if you're in Minnesota, Minneapolis, May 5th. May 5th through the 8th. And then I'm at the MGM grand in Las Vegas, August 2nd through the 8th. And a bunch more will get added. But uh, like if you follow me on any of the social, I always post when I schedule new dates and that sort of thing. So just keep supporting Mike and like yeah. artists and people that are out there creating and, and just take a take a funny clip of stand up that you like and just share it on your own feed. It goes a long way. Yeah, it really does, man. For me, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Mike Valdez on Twitter at I am Mike Valdez. And you can go to who is Mike Valdez dot com to find out <laughs> the answer to that question. And that it. is it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a great episode. Don't lose your sense of childlike wonder. Have a great week. Bye, besties. <laughs>